usually get the same amount of press as Mother's Day, I don't think. I can think of two reasons for that. Uh, the first reason is the obvious one, that uh, women go through a lot more with the whole childbearing process than, than men have to endure. Um, but there's a second reason, and a second reason that I think is kind of sad, which is I think that fathers don't really have as good a reputation these days as mothers do. Uh, some people grow up without a mother in their life, but it's a lot more common for you to grow up without a father in your life. In fact, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, 24 million children in America grow up in homes where the, are currently growing up in homes where the biological father is not present. So that's actually one out of every three children. And that raises the question, well, what is the impact of all those missing fathers? Does their not being there really make a difference? Are dads a, a source of essential nourishment for children? Or are they more like dessert, you know, like cake? Like, they're nice to have, but not really necessary. Well, the statistics are actually very clear that fathers aren't frivolous at all. There's a group called the National Fatherhood Initiative that's compiled a lot of studies related to fatherlessness. And the results are unanimous. They say that having a biological father in the home greatly increases the likelihood of a lot of good things in a child's life. And not having a biological father in the home, generally, uh, increases the likelihood of a lot of bad things. In fact, there's what you might call a father factor in nearly all the social issues facing our country today. So consider some of these facts that I found on the National Fatherhood Initiative. Children in father-absent homes are four times more likely to be poor. Uh, they are more likely to show high levels of aggressive behavior. They are significantly more likely to be incarcerated at some point in their lives. About 85% of the men in prison grew up without their father in the home. Uh, they are significantly more likely to use drugs. They're significantly more likely to become pregnant as teenagers. And they are even more likely to have weight problems. Um, and this especially surprised me. Uh, they have an infant mortality, more, I should say mortality, not morality, um, an infant mortality rate that is 1.8 times higher, almost twice as high in a home without a father. So fathers do make a difference. They're not frivolous. They make a huge difference. And in fact, in 2006 alone, the federal government spent at least $99.8 billion to provide assistance for father-absent homes. And that's a very conservative estimate. So although you can't put a price tag on a father, the effects of fatherlessness do have a price tag in America, and it's a big one. Now, before I proceed here, I want to make two disclaimers. So the first one is that I realize that some fathers seem to bring more pain through their presence than by their absence. Uh, I don't want you to think that the general point that I'm trying to make here, that fathers are a blessing, applies to every specific situation. So let's just acknowledge that. However, studies have shown that even what you might call so-so fathers uh, can and do have a positive impact on their children. In a study that was done on children of unmarried teenage mothers, it was discovered that the children who had some amount of contact with their fathers, on average, had better emotional and academic functioning than those who did not. Uh, they had fewer behavioral problems and scored higher on reading achievement. 
So even in the cases where the fathers were not married to the mothers and probably very young and inexperienced, the studies showed that contact with their kids still, on average, led to better functioning for the kids. So although in some cases the presence of a father can be even worse than the father's absence, generally speaking, the presence of a father in a child's life is a blessing, even when that father is less than exemplary. So the second disclaimer that I want to make is that the absence of a biological father in a child's life does not mean that that child is destined for drug abuse or incarceration or unemployment. Uh, Statistically, yes, life is harder for those who don't have a dad, but the situation isn't hopeless, uh, especially for those of us who know the Lord, because scripture tells us that our God is a father to the fatherless. So I don't want to discourage or shame any single mothers with this information or any kids who are trying to grow up in the world without a father. You aren't destined to fail. God is with you. But you will face some challenges that those who have loving fathers in this world do not. And I believe the church can help you to face those challenges. I believe that God can help you to face those challenges. But with those two disclaimers aside, the point we need to recognize is that fathers really do matter. They really do. So for those of you who are here today, who are dads, uh, those of you who are a part of your children's lives, you need to know that you are making a difference. You're making a huge difference. The stats don't lie. Even if you think, I'm just doing a so-so job, the reality is that what you're doing is probably way more beneficial in your children's lives than you could ever realize. You have a very special and a very significant calling. And I want to encourage you not to forget that. Because sometimes we think that when it comes to the kingdom of God, we've got to be pastors or missionaries to have a great impact. But when it comes to your kids, you fathers have a greater potential for impact on their lives than probably any pastor or missionary. Because there's a lot of people in the world that could be a pastor or missionary to your kids. There's only one person that can be your kid's father. So if you want to build the kingdom of God, build the kingdom of God in your home. Maybe God's calling you to bring the gospel to some tribe on the other side of the world. Maybe, I don't know. But I am sure that he's definitely calling you to bring the gospel to the people under your roof, to the people who carry half of your genes. They're the ones that God has undoubtedly called you to. They're the ones he set before you. So don't ever downplay the significance of the ministry that you have to them. Every day you serve your family as a father, you're doing something of tremendous significance for the kingdom of God. I mean, just think of those stats, right? Your wives need you. Your kids need you. Society as a whole needs you. The church needs you. And what you do does really matter. Excuse me. So one of the reasons, I think, that what you do matters so much is because you bear the title that God uses very frequently to describe his relationship to us. Father, like Jesus prayed, our Father who is in heaven. Now just a quick disclaimer, God is not a man, God is not a woman, God is not male, God is not female, God doesn't have gender the way that you or I do. And I say that because it's important for us to recognize that both men and women bear the image of God. I don't want to come across like I'm exalting men and fathers at the expense of women and mothers. But with that said, I think it's very significant that when God speaks to us through Scripture, he chooses to use this relationship of a father and his children as the guiding metaphor for his relationship to us. 
And so fathers, you have really big shoes to fill. Because when your kids hear about God as a father, the example that they're going to have in their minds of what a father is like is going to be you. So like it or not, God has put you in a position where the strength of his chosen metaphor depends on you. And that's why when a father abandons his calling or abuses his calling, it has this incredible capacity to wound a child. Because when that happens, one of God's favorite metaphors for his relationship to us is being misrepresented. Because God doesn't abandon his children. God doesn't abuse his children. And when a father, who is in some sense meant to serve as that representative of God to his children, abandons or abuses that calling, it can hurt very deeply. So remember, fathers, as you serve your kids, as you serve your families, you're teaching them what God's like. And if when your kids hear the phrase, our Father in heaven, they're able to immediately think of the love and security and affection that you've provided for them, then you've given them a priceless gift. And you don't have to be perfect. Keep that in mind. You can't be perfect. But if you're present, and if you're doing what you can with the Lord's help, you're a blessing. You're making a difference. Now, I am not a father, so it feels a little strange to get up here and to try to give my advice on what it means to be a good father. Um, So I'm not really going to do that, but I can offer a few things that Scripture says about what fathers ought to do. And so for the rest of today's message, I'd just like to look at three things that Scripture tells us that good fathers do. And there's a lot more than these. This is not meant to be exhaustive, but this is a place to start. So three things. The first thing that good fathers do is good fathers provide for their families. Good fathers provide. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now that is a pretty strong statement, isn't it? It's a little scary. Now, if you're a father who's struggling to provide for your family, uh, who has trouble paying the bills but is making an effort, I don't think this scripture is addressed to you. I don't think you're a target here. Uh, the type of person that's being addressed here is the sort of the person who is capable of providing, but is unwilling. So the Apostle Paul is strongly condemning that attitude. He's basically saying, if you choose, despite being capable, not to provide for your family, you're doing something that reveals a complete lack of trust in the Lord. Be- and basically, you can't pretend to be a disciple of Christ if you willingly and deliberately forsake your children. That might sound harsh, but when you think of those stats that we read earlier, you can see why God would feel so strongly about this, right? Because when a father abandons his family, when they don't provide, that creates this host of problems. Now, although this passage gives a stern call for fathers to provide, I want us to be careful not to make it say more than it actually does. Because some have taken this to mean that fathers have to be the sole financial providers for their families. And some have used this passage to argue that if a woman is making more money than her husband, then the husband is somehow being like derelict in his duty. But I think it's important for us to recognize that there is no reason at all to conclude that from this verse. The command is for fathers to provide, yes, but it says nothing about how. Right? In some families, the best way for a father to provide may be to stay at home with the kids so that his wife is enabled to work and earn money for the family. There's nothing here that forbids that. The point Paul's making is that a good father provides in whatever way that he can. Not that he has to be the only one bringing home a paycheck or bringing home the bigger paycheck or the only one. 
And I think we bring ourselves a lot of grief when we insist on gender norms that aren't actually required by the text. So let's be careful not to do that. Um, so the writer of Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien, he has this very interesting letter that he wrote to his son, and he was advising him on looking for a spouse. And he told him that his mindset should be like one uh, looking for a companion in shipwreck. And I really like that. Uh, in this fallen world, each one of us is kind of like a, the survivor of a shipwreck. And we're trying to figure out, how are we going to survive? And if you're in a shipwreck with someone, you don't worry a lot about who's supposed to gather the coconuts and who's supposed to build the lean-to. Um, you just do what you're good at, and you work together to survive. So the important thing is not that a father is able to provide everything his, his family needs with one paycheck, but that he is making an effort to provide for his family in whatever way best suits that family. So I think that's the principle that we need to remember. Fathers, don't abandon your children. Don't slack. Provide. Okay, number two. Second thing that good fathers do is discipline their children. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Good fathers discipline their kids. Now, discipline can be a dirty word for some of us, because when we think of it, the first thing that we think of is punishment. Uh, and often violent punishment. Now, punishment of some form is certainly an element of discipline. It's very hard to discipline a child without ever punishing him in some way. But discipline is so much more than just punishment. Uh, discipline is correction. It's the act of helping a child to resist those natural tendencies towards selfishness and laziness and other forms of sin and to put on virtuous qualities instead, like love, hard work, patience. And that's no small task to accomplish. Not that I've had to try to do it myself with kids, but um, I'm sure it's no small task to accomplish because sin is a very powerful force in every child and in every one of us. None of us has to be taught how to sin, right? We need to be taught how to restrain ourselves. And a father who truly loves his children loves them enough to help them to develop that restraint. And the way that a good father does that is not only through punishment. Fathers also offer correction through modeling the kind of behavior that they want their kids to follow, uh, by setting up rules and explaining why those rules exist, by helping kids to know scripture, by teaching their kids how to pray and seek God. So all of these things are ways of instilling discipline in kids. And a good father recognizes the need to do those things. How many of you have heard that phrase, spare the rod, spoil the child? Anybody? Spare the rod, spoil the child? That's a paraphrase of a proverb, uh, Proverbs 13, 24. And I think that proverb might make some of us uncomfortable uh, because we think of the rod as something strictly used to punish, right? And specifically to punish through some violence. Uh, but I'd like us to consider that the rod might not necessarily be just that. Uh, many of us are probably familiar with Psalm 23. Beautiful psalm. Uh, it's a famous psalm that compares God to a shepherd and us to sheep. And there's one point in there where it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod 
and your staff, they comfort me. So there's that word again, rod. And notice, the rod is a source of comfort here. Right? It's not of a, not a pain, not of violence, not fear, but of comfort. The psalmist is saying that the Lord is like a shepherd guiding sheep with a rod and a staff. And just as the rod and the staff comfort and protect the sheep, so also the Lord's guidance and his correction and the boundaries that he enforces are a source of comfort. And that's ultimately what our discipline of our children should be. So I don't think that the message of spare the rod, spoil the child, is whack your kids around a lot in order to keep them from being spoiled. Uh, What it's saying is that when we spare our kids guidance, correction, and boundaries, then we spoil them. And in the end, like sheep without a shepherd, they lose genuine comfort too. And psychology supports this, or what I know of it. Uh, Kids who have no one enforcing any kind of boundaries in their lives, they're usually unhappy people. Um, Even though a child's nature is to push against the boundaries that parents create, if there are no boundaries to push against at all, kids usually aren't happy. Uh, Because boundaries make life meaningful. Can you imagine trying to play any kind of sport without boundaries? Like football or soccer or baseball? Can't do it. A child's experience of life without any discipline is like a game of tennis with no out-of-bounds. Have you ever played tennis? I am horrible at it. I don't like tennis at all. For me, tennis feels like ping-pong in a bad dream. Like, I love, I love ping-pong, but tennis is just oversized, ridiculous ping-pong. Um, and it's hard enough to return the ball in tennis with boundaries, but imagine if there's just no boundaries at all. Every game would be so boring. You know, one person would just serve it hard enough, like a quarter mile, and then the other person would, like, turn around and walk the whole way, get the ball, serve it again, serve it a quarter mile in the other direction, back and forth. You'd never have a volley. It'd be painfully boring. Like, nobody would want to play. And that's a lot what life is like, not just for kids, but for all of us. If there's no boundaries, something's missing. Life lacks meaning and purpose. So fathers, you have a responsibility, as do mothers as well, to provide guidance, correction, and boundaries for the well-being and comfort of your kids. Just as the Lord does for you. Your kids need you to do that. And then finally, the third thing a good father does is a good father inspires and encourages. Uh, If you were here two weeks ago, hopefully you remember that we looked at the house code in Colossians, which is a set of rules for how the people living under one roof should all relate to each other. And there was a very interesting instruction given in that house code specifically to fathers. It said in Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. And that word in the Greek that's translated as discouraged means to have a broken spirit. In other words, fathers, be careful not to break your children's spirit. All of us come into the world with a certain curiosity, a certain hopefulness about life, and fathers have this power to help cultivate that curiosity and hopefulness. But they also have this power to break it, to wound it. And a good father doesn't break his children's spirit, he cultivates it. And I think it's important to remember this as a balance to the second point, right? That a good father disciplines. Because if you, if you enforce too many rules and boundaries, that can be spirit-crushing for a child. It's important to have a healthy balance. Uh, a game of tennis where there's no boundaries is meaningless, but a game of tennis where you always have to return the ball to a spot that's like one square foot, 
that's no good either. It's going to be an impossible game. No fun at all. And if you expect your kids to be able to succeed at a game like that, that's going to be very, very discouraging for them. It's going to be soul-crushing. So to put it metaphorically, what a good father does is he creates boundaries for his kids, and the boundaries he creates makes the game of life meaningful and healthy. And a little challenging, right? Because that keeps it interesting, but not crippling, not overwhelming. And then he cheers relentlessly from the sidelines, and he celebrates every success as his kids play within those boundaries. So fathers, don't break your children's spirit. Don't crush them with too many rules. Um, Don't try to make them be something other than who God made them to be. Recognize the things that your kids are good at, even if they're not the things that you're naturally interested in, and champion them in pursuing those things. Inspire and encourage. Don't embitter. Don't exasperate. To close, I'd like to say uh, that I am under no illusion that being a father is an easy job. It's hard. I've been talking to some fathers recently about how challenging that job can be. Um, and I realize it's a job where you're never really off the clock. You're, you're on it for at least 18 years, probably longer. Um, and I realize that uh, it can be especially hard if you've never experienced good fathering yourself. All the studies indicate that fatherlessness ten- tends to beget more fatherlessness. And that's why it's really important for those of us who are fathers to allow ourselves to be fathered by the perfect father, by God. Our God is a God who provides, he's a God who disciplines, and he's a God who inspires and encourages us. And if we want to be good fathers, we need to be in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. There's a beautiful passage in Galatians, uh, I love it, where it says, Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. So what that tells us is that God wants us to see him not as our slave master, but as our father, as our dad. And when the Spirit of God is in us, we call God Father. And we recognize him as our provider, as our disciplinarian in the best sense of the word, and as our encourager. So, if you're a father, and you feel like you still need to be fathered yourself, then lean on your Heavenly Father. And here's the good news. You know, no matter how old you get, no matter how much your hair turns gray or falls out or how wrinkly your face gets, um, no matter how long it's been since your earthly father was a part of your life, you will always be a son to your Heavenly Father. Always. You're always going to be able to have that child and dad relationship there. Even as you become a mentor, uh, a father, a leader in your earthly relationships, with God, you still get to be his kid. And he still gets to be your dad. And you need that. And while, while you're saying to your kids, you can do it, you need to know that God is watching you at the same time, and he's saying, you can do it to you, too. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being our perfect father. We thank you that when we've received your spirit, God, that it's a spirit that cries out to you, Abba, Father, recognizing you as our dad. God, we pray that for each one of us, uh, you would be our father, that we would recognize you as our provider, as the one who corrects us, Lord, as the one who encourages and inspires us 
to be everything that you made us to be. And we pray, Lord, for those of us who are then trying to turn around and and to be that in the lives of of children, uh, to be your representative, God. I pray for each father in this room, Lord. I just pray that you would anoint them, God. Anoint them with your spirit, with the spirit of your fatherhood. I pray that you would give them the strength to love their families well. I pray that you'd give them patience when they're wearing thin. Um, I pray that you would give them joy, Lord, in the task that you've, you've put before them, Lord, to build your kingdom through loving their children. We pray that they would find great meaning and joy in that, Lord. We ask that you would continue um, to help us to recognize you as our Father. Uh, we give you all thanks and praise, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.